This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham. And today, there are two special guests, Tony and Abby from Black Tab Games. How are you guys doing out there? I'm doing great. Good. Yeah. Uh, living. Yeah. Just working all the time. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be the case. Uh, now that everyone's home, you guys... Well, we'll get into it in a bit. Uh, this is actually the part of the podcast where I ask our guests, which is yourself, uh, where you're from, where you're at, where you're heading. Well, uh, I am originally from North Carolina, and I wound up, after several other moves in Boston, where I wound up meeting Tony, and uh, we started a video game company together. I mean, also, we started dating before that, and then also got married. So <laughs> there was a lot in between. Yeah. So what was the, uh, what was your background in game development? Was it just, this is your first foray or always had been a hobby and then decided to go through with it? Love to kind this of hear the backstory. This is our first foray into video games. Mm-hmm. I do uh, comic books for a living. I do graphic novels and that sort of thing. So I'm a writer and an illustrator full time and have been for the past eight or nine years. Yeah. And I've like designed and run some tabletops, but that was just on a very small scale hobbyist level. And I worked in like startups for the longest time before this. Oh, perfect. All right. So let's, let's dig a little bit deeper into your stories then. So uh, would you mind kind of talking about your company a bit before I kind of dive into individually your stories? Sure. You want to take it away? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll talk about it. Um, yeah, so we are a two-person indie game studio, um, and right now we're working on just one title, a uh, an episodic narrative horror game called Scarlet Hollow, um, which kind of sits at that intersection between visual novel and you know, choose-your-own-adventure, point-and-click style stuff. Um, we have seven episodes of our game planned in total, which are releasing at six months intervals give or take so we've got our uh hands pretty full for the next couple of years we released our first episode last september is a kind of free-to-play demo which led into a pretty successful kickstarter that's the high level stuff at least yeah man that's uh you, i mean that already is a rare story to have a kickstarter that is successful to finally have the confidence to kind of do it for real uh uh, so, Abby, I kind of want to ask about your your history. So, you you spent like a good decade tied into at least a, a cousin of the game industry, which is the comic book industry. Um, how did you get started on that? What was your career over there like? Is there any work that we know and the viewers might know out there that might recognize you from? I have no idea if people will recognize my work. I don't work in uh, superhero comics or anything like that. I'm more independent. Um, I got my start doing webcomics. So I had one called Junior Scientist Power Hour, which was sort of a semi-autobiographical gag comic, uh, which wound up landing me a spot on a reality show, like an online reality show hosted by Penny Arcade. And um, it was a reality show to find the next best internet cartoonist, I suppose. I was the runner-up, but that meant that I could kind of start my career in comics, which is what I'd always wanted. I was actually in school for evolutionary biology at the time. I wound up dropping out to pursue comics because it just made sense, and I never looked back. Since then, I've published seven full-length graphic novels, some of which are collections of my online comics. Like, there's The Last Halloween, which was recently republished by Iron Circus Comics, and that one's really fun. It has a lot of starred reviews and that sort of thing. I'm very proud. And I also, just last week, released a new book, The Crossroads at Midnight, which is a collection of seven short horror comics. So I really love working in horror, but I've also done educational stuff for kids. With Abrams, I did a series of three books called Earth Before Us, 
which is all about paleontology and ancient life because that's what I studied in school and I just know a lot about it. Yeah, gosh. So that's kind of what it's been like. Yeah, I, I guess like the last nine years were, I mean, that's basically the whole Marvel boom, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Comic history, superhero comics, but they're, I think there's starting to be a lot more attention towards comics for sources of inspiration now because of the, the latest latest thing. So, uh, w- whatever comics are usually known for, which is superhero genre, is now other comics are starting to be recognized of potential stories. Uh, did you, being in that industry, did you see some of this affecting your work? Some of this, because I also know that comic, I know this is a loaded question. Like the San Diego Comic Con used to be more about comics, but now it's more about like movie stars being there. I would love to kind of hear your your side of like the comic industry from a perspective of a comic artist um, and how it's being affected. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of two different worlds uh, in a lot of ways. Like there are comic conventions that I go to that are kind of more like San Diego, but those I usually just go for a panel or two. I don't tend to sit and man a booth the whole time. And it is more of a pop culture convention now, I feel, where it's just kind of a anything. And there's like a small artist alley off to the side or in a different building or something. But uh, I also go to a lot of independent comic conventions, which are very different because there is a whole world of independent comics as well as like mainstream graphic novels published by actual book publishers, which is kind of more the realm that I'm in. And it actually is a really amazing industry. It extremely outgrosses Marvel and DC by a lot because kids comics are in there and kids comics are really taking off right now. Uh, I mean, recently this is kind of famous, but the dog man guy, the guy who made captain underpants now makes dog man. And that was, I think one of the biggest signing bonuses for a graphic novel ever at a million dollars, just for the signing bonus or advance. One of those, (laughs) I should get my facts straight if I'm going to talk about it, but still, so yeah, it's a, a pretty big deal, I think. Comic sales have picked up in the past five years to an incredible degree. It's, I think, partially because people are moving into comics as more of a mainstream thing to read, and just people are willing to take a chance on it. They see that there's a market for it. So yeah, it's a good time to be in comics. <laughs> yeah, well, the very much the same way, Tony. I would love to kind of hear about your background, too, because um, you, you mentioned tabletop. mentioned Mm -hmm. analog games right Mm -hmm. uh obviously kickstarter has a huge i i I feel like influence in that field like a lot of most kickstarter products i feel like are more analog backed now than than like games like actual digital games being being backed as much you just hear more about tabletop games like yeah killing wildly popular on there they right. kill it. Oh my yeah. gosh, the money they could bring in. Wow. Yeah, they bring right ridiculous amount of money for a deck of cards, right? So um I'm also seeing that with the pandemic too. People are missing that side of uh get together party games and and the element, if anything, of how this pandemic kind of pushed social circles away. Like as soon as it's a okay again, I, I think it's gonna come back huger than before if, if that's even possible i would love to kind of hear your side and your take about that that part of the industry yeah i mean i i think uh i want to again stress that like any tabletop stuff i did was very much from a hobbyist angle where it was oh i'm gonna like play around with the rule set for dungeons and dragons and make a homebrew setting and it was not something i'd done professionally at all mm-hmm. Um, right. Like I think the thing that drove us to Kickstarter as a platform is, uh, Abby's run Uh, six, six, yeah, Yeah, six six Kickstarters. So there's a pretty, uh, and all of them like overfunded by a fair bit. So we had a big base to work on there. Uh, professional background is actually more in the startup space. So I spent, a couple of years working at the Boston Globe for their like health and biotech um, startup publication, uh, kind of building their audience and doing analytics and marketing. Uh, wound up from there, starting my own company with some friends from college um, that was building volunteer organizing software for nonprofits and political campaigns. And I think the real intersection of like, you know, what Abby and I were both bringing to the table when we started working on this was I just 
on top of the 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 hobbyist angle of you know running quite a few campaigns and just i guess being very into video games uh i just had a lot of kind of technical and product management experience and when i think it was what at new york comic-con in 2019 like we were chatting with a couple friends who made an offhand comment about like "Ooh, what about a dating simulator but for demons and we were just at a point in both of our lives where we were able to uh, look at each other and um, be like, oh, wait, should we do this? Could we, could we just make a game? Um, and then we did. Then we did. Yeah, that's that's the huge part. I mean, we're, we're starting to get, to get like the, the, the importance of how your past experiences are kind of diving into forming your own game studio. I mean, the, the startup background is definitely one of those under under-realized part of uh, starting a game studio. I feel like a lot of game developers, even if they are experienced, uh, have no experience of what it's like to form their own company, work well with others on a tight schedule, under-budgeted, you know, all the like securities kind of stripped away from their nine to five. Uh, And most of them kind of go in blindly. And there's a lot of, problems that comes with that obviously oh yeah definitely and um i feel like kind of coming from doing a startup before this uh we had a pretty good idea of just like what were the legal things that needed to be done what what bits of our project did we need to outsource to other people what were like the best platforms to use to to manage stuff probably very helpful that I've at least had to file business taxes uh, quite a few times already. Mm-hmm. So we didn't get blindsided by uh, just kind of the scheduling and all of that. Yeah. The, the, the legal part is always the, <laughs> the part that most people uh, I myself found just educating myself to a point where, <laughs> where we're just acting as lawyers in half the time. Right. It's just, Oh Yeah. Going back and forth. The, and, the past two weeks or something, I've gotten very little coding done and have mostly just been juggling taxes and migrating things over from one bank account to another. And I feel like that's something that you just don't realize goes on behind the scenes and has to get done. Yeah, definitely. And I think, Abby, like... With your success rate at Kickstarter, it sounds like you had at least a formula in mind of how to get this going. And and most importantly, you know, what's the right budget for a project that will get funded? Um, like, do you have any cool, short, key takeaways about your past experience with that? Is it still obviously viable for you? Is it viable for most people still? What's the missing component for those that don't make it that that, that you seem to be able to figure out? I think having a base audience already is something a lot of people um, kind of overlook or think that they might be the exception to, but it is really, I feel, the key. Um, Making sure that you have kind of a realistic goal in mind, that you don't add too many things that complicate it, um, especially for funding. You want to make sure that you're able to pay for shipping and uh, the supplies for shipping and for any kind of mistakes that might happen. And of course, the goods themselves, unless you're doing digital goods, which is great. I love that this Kickstarter was for mostly digital goods. Ah, it's wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I really want to jump in and emphasize that first point. Yeah, too, I was about to where like around. the the single biggest mistake I think both of us have seen other people make with their Kickstarters is they go into it kind of just only looking at the campaigns that funded or were amazingly successful, and then they compare their product to the product that that they're looking at and not like what assets those people had coming into it. And they kind of view Kickstarter more as, well, this is the platform that I use to generate interest in my work. Yeah. Unfortunately, you have to generate interest beforehand and then people will give you the money to do it. Yeah. Like I, I was just about to add like, we raised what eighty four thousand for Scarlet Hollow. Two thirds of our backers were externally referred from just like pre existing mailing lists we had, Abby's social media platforms, things like that. 
like one third of that money came from people finding us on Kickstarter. And that one third was only as significant as it was because we funded really quickly, uh, which you also asked about like kind of budgets to set. Uh, I think algorithmically the most, there's like two really important things with Kickstarter. One, um, they prioritize projects that fund very, very quickly, regardless of kind of what that threshold for funding is. Uh, I think the general rule of thumb is if you fund in 24 hours, you're probably set. Um, but there's also a balancing act where it's like, you need to make sure that the minimum amount of money you're asking for is enough where you can actually finish and deliver your product. Yeah. So I think some people hear that first part and then they're like, oh, so if I just ask for like, one to $5,000 to finish my video game. Um, I'm going to fund really quickly. And then I'm going to like, you know, hack Kickstarter and get everything I need. But it's like, you what if plan for the scenario where you only make one to $5,000? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of a, a, a difficult number to settle on the number where, you know, you'll still fund probably within a day or so, or, you know, within the first week, whatever you can manage. And, uh, the number where it's so high that you won't hit that fast enough and people won't give you as much attention for that. Yeah. And another thing that's good about funding quickly is people are more willing to back something where it's like backing it is purchasing the thing. Yeah. There's um, always a kind of a bump after you finally yeah. get funded where people are like, Oh, phew, it's actually happening. Mm -hmm. I feel safe giving my money to this now. Uh, something I also want to add is you see so many Kickstarters for video games in particular, where so many tiers have physical merch. And I feel like folks who run those campaigns often don't actually kind of sit down and put together a spreadsheet of like, okay, what does this merch actually cost us? Because if like, if you're selling a tier that has a, a hoodie and that tier has like, you know, costs a hundred dollars, but it costs you a hundred dollars to print, uh, ship and fulfill that, that hoodie and, and all of that other just kind of in the weed stuff, like you're not making money off yeah. of that. There are certain kinds of merchandise where even if you're doing something digital and just want to kind of toss it in, make sure you keep your costs low. So do like a sticker or something, something that you can flat pack and mail and that it's small and uh, does not mean that you have to have like five boxes of t-shirts sitting in your living room or 80 boxes of t-shirts sitting in your room. Um, I especially don't think you should do apparel. Apparel is bad news <laughs> because you have to print it. It's extremely expensive and then you have to store it and then you have to ship it. And it's just a, uh, Right. Yeah. Try to stick to smaller things, especially for like brand new Kickstarters. And shipping too. I think folks underestimate how much it costs to ship things, especially internationally. Mm -hmm. and International, it can be somewhere between like 30 and $75 for one package. And I mean right. a small package. Right. And like, I think sometimes people even look that number up and then they'll be like, <laughs> they'll oh, it can't be no. that much. No way. I, and I can't ask someone to pay me like $50 to ship something but then the campaign funds and they're in a position where they're obligated to spend like more money than the tier itself costs to send someone their goods yeah i, I think uh, i agree with you the, the the dangers of the physical copies of anything um hampers a lot of people from delivering <laughs> i mean who who would have thought uh the the part that i don't really control 100 percent has issues yeah. um, <laughs> it's honestly a big part of the reason we started seriously talking about doing a video game because fulfilling comics is so expensive once you deal with printing it once you deal with printing enough to sell additional copies down the road like yeah you know, yeah you'll look at like what some creators pull in on Kickstarter. You'll think it's a phenomenal amount of money, but then once you remove the margins, once you remove taxes, uh, by gosh, if you're doing like cash-based accounting and run your Kickstarter at the end of the year and haven't had the chance to pay anything yet, like mm -hmm. once you factor in being taxed before those business expenses comes up, like the margins are just uh, yeah, slim. Around a third of what you've made, just the mm -hmm. taxes, if you haven't been able to fulfill by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Just a little heads up. Yeah. 
Sorry. Yeah. Sorry for all of the tips. Yeah. Like, no, the I, tips I some, are great. Yeah. yeah. Some of these tips are like a little demotivating, but like crowdfunding is also an incredible tool that, uh, you know, a couple decades ago, people couldn't even dream of like having that kind of democratized, democratized access to just making what they want to make and distributing it on mass. Yeah. So. All you need is demand. You don't need anybody else right. to, to, you know, run to for permission to do it. Yeah, that's the one um, thing I'm loving about uh, digital content. It's just the 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 ability to just put out content. <laughs> yeah, like the like games, especially. I, I still marvel at, at what you guys do, like being able to self fund and, and and just get your ideas out there and from from A to Z, right? Just having that that ability to do so. Um, I, I'm beginning to see books kind of taking advantage of that. Like if someone run and write something, they can technically just put on Kindle or something right away. Uh, movies are still in that phase of, you know, obviously they, they need to film things. So that's the only, they, right. they need to get people together. But with games, it's just artists or developers behind a computer screen and we don't have to get together really, right? Um, yeah. So I'm loving the fact that the entertainment uh industries are, are kind of taking advantage of this man I'm, i was about to say trump card it's still hard to say it now <laughs> but it is like a huge advantage uh for digital yeah. goods uh to not have to worry about the the the, the physical dead weight of, of of everything um another part of your i would love to kind of start digging into more in scarlet hollow you guys are starting mm-hmm. to talk about it more um, this was just recently funded, right? At the end of 2020. Yep. Um, what a horrible year that was. Mm-hmm. And uh, like how were you just, just heads down? Did it really affect you guys to to any level of what your plans were before the pandemic? Like how how did it affect you? How did it make it better? If any, any way, I uh, would love I to mean, kind of hear that part. We didn't have a full schedule of conventions to go to. Yeah, I hate to say it, but that's probably one of the reasons we were able to release on our schedule. Yeah, is without like cutting a bunch. Yeah, because we just had the time. We were just home all the time. I didn't have to worry about it. I usually do six or seven, sometimes even 10 conventions a year. So yeah. that's a lot. It's a lot of time. It's at least like a week lost. Um, yeah, especially like couple days before you go into waiting mode yeah because the thing's about to happen then you All travel think about is what i'm gonna leave behind or what i'm gonna i have to make yeah. sure i have with me and you get back and you either like get post-convention blues or like viral whatever viral. like viral cocktail was spreading around that convention and or god forbid both at the same time and yeah. get out of commission another week yeah um i believe this time last year i was prepping for a convention um that wound up being canceled a few days before I would have been on the flight to Seattle where they had patient zero at the time. So yeah. (laughs) Glad that didn't happen. (laughs) Well, I would love to kind of, oops, I would love to kind of um, talk more about that because uh, obviously, you know, theaters and and all these places are hoping to come back. I I think we can all agree that those are one it's either going to take a while before it's going to go back to its heyday of a lot of people going. Uh, like I, I feel like it was already on a decline for the longest time. Uh, these conventions are finding alternatives. Um, I'm hearing a lot, the same, same thing. Like all, a lot of indie developers are actually glad they don't have to fly around all the time to promote. How much of that do you think is going to come back? How much of it think, is actually? I think. I think as soon as like there's a critical mass of people who are vaccinated, every single one of those industries you just mentioned is going to boom back to where it was before. Oh yeah, maybe even better because people want to see each other. Yeah. Like I know, like while I feel great that I was able to stay home and work a lot, I do have friends that I only ever see at conventions, professional friends who live in different cities, and uh, I miss hanging out with them in hotel rooms and yeah, talking together in person. <laughs> or selling things together. So I miss that. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of people are the same people who go to cons, people who work at cons for the most part. I think some people are starting to rethink whether or not they have to do conventions at all, but yeah. I think they'll be rapidly replaced by people who uh, are fresh faced and ready to 
sit on a con floor all day selling things. We'll probably do fewer than we were doing before COVID. Yeah, it's just made it easier for me to kind of trim out which ones I, I really care about and which ones I don't. But also, like, I feel like part of us doing fewer is also we're just more financially stable than yeah. we were. I kind of relied on them for a while. They yeah. Were, uh, they're really great at a certain point, And then uh, you start to lose time eventually. Right. And then the time becomes more valuable than the kind of money that you bring in at a convention. So now we're kind of at that downward slope. Yeah. Really cherry picking. Like, okay, what are the three conventions where it's like we get to see a bunch of people? Yeah. And where we got to make bank. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, well, what, what has been the replacement? Is it because most of these press mm-hmm. online press stuff that you guys are doing, like what has been the biggest um, replacement for those conventions, physical conventions that you feel like has been effective or just as effective? I don't think there has been a replacement. I've done a few online conventions and it's definitely not the same. same, Yeah. Yeah, Not a lot of people go to those and it's a very different experience. Um, And a lot harder for me. I'm not very good at being in front of a camera. I can be in front of a person Mm -hmm. pretty reasonably, but uh, for short interactions only, uh, I'm a little bit of a a recluse, especially these days. But um, like social media has always been very good for promoting things but I don't think it was so much of a replacement as just the usual. Yeah. So. I mean, like for us last year, we did an extra merch Kickstarter for a plush of our cat. Oh, yeah. That replaced the convention money. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, I wouldn't say, like, nice. there's been, like, a structure or system that's come in to replace that so much as for us specifically i don't know we just happened to be kind of lucky about where we fell yeah it just happened that we had already lined up stuff to kind of make enough money for us to get to the point that we had our huge kickstarter for scarlet hollow well the scarlet hollow how long has that been in development um leading up to your campaign like how how far along did you have to finally uh figure out crowdfunding as as uh because it was recently, like I mentioned, like October, right? So how long in planning did you have that in place before you started it? Let's see. Like uh, October 2019, I believe. But that's when we October. were like that was, throwing yeah, that the was idea like back and forth. Then I was still on a deadline at that time. Yeah. So we couldn't really work on much beyond just kind of turning to each other every now and then and saying, ooh, what if we did this for the mm. story? Yeah. And that was very much like loose outlines for kind of generally how we wanted it to be. I would say it's been in full development just about a year. Yeah, since around like March of last year is when we really started on it. Because I finished the Crossroads at midnight. Pandemic. <laughs> yeah, and the pandemic happened. Just, oh gosh, the day after you finish your huge <laughs> deadline. So the Crossroads at midnight uh, is like a three hundred and fifty page book. I say hey, you that have a copy somewhere. I do. It's lost. Yeah. Oh, I can grab that real. Quick. But it's a a very nice chunky book. I had one year to do it. Oh, wow. There's no fault of the publisher. I just mm-hmm. kind of. Gave myself that deadline. Yeah. Here it is. Wow. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. It's got a cutout on the cover. Very cool. Anyway, Very cool. but um, it's five shorts, but some of the shorts are 95 pages long. Anyway, it was a lot of work and it's all hand-drawn, cross-hatched. It's very heavily detailed. So I was working on a very hard deadline. I was working 16 hour plus days, um, nonstop, no breaks, no weekends. Uh, I couldn't go to the gym. I couldn't cook. Like I was just working constantly for about three months. Uh, that was when it was really bad. I'd already been working on it for almost a year, but yeah, the day that I finally turned in the final pages, I got to go to the gym and go grocery shopping and walk around outside. And then the day after that, uh, we woke up and the state was in lockdown and we've been in lockdown ever since. So, <laughs> yeah, That's very, it's very similar to a couple I believe a couple of guests before they, they developed Raji and they were their crunch time was right before the lockdown as well. And yeah. they thought that <laughs> and that they thought they were so looking forward to hitting the beaches and then everything got closed down. No. So a lot of indie developers kind of lined up to, uh, in a funny way uh, in that way. I also like to kind of touch on this point. Like I always hold like writers as the original or graphic novelists as the original like creative at the top of the chain of being super disciplined and being able to kind of 
go A to Z without anybody's help. And I think it's an important skill that most indie developers are still figuring out or most interested AAA developers even who want to do something by themselves uh, don't really understand. So I would love to kind of hear your background a bit with that, with that, Abby, because obviously, you, I don't know, maybe you are super efficient from day one, but like, <laughs> what what are the lessons and tips that you have for people who, who just needs to concentrate and focus and be free from distraction and just getting things done? Um, is there anything you can kind of uh, shell out there for, 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 for listeners? Well, uh... I think it does kind of, you have to be able to uh, be working on something where you can kind of enter the state where you just kind of lose yourself into it. But there are ways you can get there, I think. Uh, So there are some apps that you can use where it has you focus for 45 to 50 minutes on and then like 10 minutes off. And it seems like that is kind of a good system. I've heard there have been studies on this and apparently that's just kind of a good cycle to get into. So you can reward yourself. And I feel like that's also important to reward yourself after certain landmarks. So even if the reward is just, wow, you did it. You reached the next goal. So actually Tony wound up drawing up a, um, a pie chart for me when I was in my deadline for the crossroads at midnight. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where uh, every time I finished a page, I could enter it into the, the pie chart and it would move a little bit. So that was pretty good. Tiny that was a nice, sliver. Yeah. It was a nice motivator to see it keep, uh, keep going. And I see a lot of cartoonists doing that actually with really tough deadlines where they wind up coming up with a chart or some kind of a system where they get to fill in something to say, yes, I have finished part of this and to just see how far it's progressed as you go. is really satisfying. So that's something. Oh, and have a nice schedule. Having a schedule is wonderful. I love it. Wake up at a certain time every day. Make sure that you stop working at a certain time every day, even if that time is like 11 p.m. Mm-hmm. right before you go to bed. So, Also, probably just sit down and do the thing. Oh, yeah. And that, sit down that, and do that, the thing. That feels like the most important. Yeah. Like you have to have a de- oh, deadlines. Self-imposed yeah. deadlines are incredible. Like say, I will have a page done by this day just to get started, just so that you have something where it says, no, no, you have to sit down and start this at some point. I think something that was super helpful for us is we had a bunch of our close friends and family do like alpha testing of our early builds. And that added this social pressure of, oh gosh, we haven't delivered a build to them with more content in like a couple of weeks. <laughs> we got to really get in the zone. We promised them like, something. That's, that's your that's my motivator. Thing. That's yeah. for sure. I've had, yeah. I've had to do a lot of projects where nobody got to see it. To be now. fair, I feel like your motivator is uh, honestly, you just are incredibly disciplined at sit down and crank stuff out. It's true. <laughs> like, I it's not that I doubt that the methods you you shared are like helpful, but I feel like. Do you use any of the things you just you, like? You don't I use the pie chart. You use the pie chart, yeah, but, but other than that, you just sit down and do the work. I do just sit down and do the work. In fact, I actually kind of sometimes find those little apps where it's like grow a tree in fifty minutes, and then you get a break. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little distracting because then it makes me take breaks. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think you're just fall far along. Yeah, your have you already habit formed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're there. Um, yeah. But I will say the tree app actually was very useful. Yeah, you like the tree app. I was doing the first draft of the first episode of Scarlet Hollow because it was just so different from anything I had worked on before. So I do feel like that's kind of like more of an entry level. How do I get into working in in this certain way kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, it was a slog. It's very different for writing comics. And I feel like there's something too where it's like people have a tendency to view or to like assume that a project they're working on should like move or progress at a linear pace. But I feel like, you know, at least for me when I'm sitting down and doing like, you know, putting the scripts into the engine and doing edits and stuff, like sometimes it's just, I need to sit down and move incredibly slowly for an hour while my brain shifts into gear. Uh, and then at that point, like I'm able to move a lot more quickly, but I feel like if I were to just, you know, kind of do half an hour of being stuck, give up a little bit and then come back again, like that would kind of reset. 
and I would never get into the sort of flow state needed to get it done. That is true. Like this also works um, kind of as the months progress during, especially these like episode breaks that we do. Mm-hmm. So it starts out really slow where we're both kind of not doing very well at doing our parts. And then it speeds up a lot as the deadline approaches. So sometimes that's just how people work. We're both very good at crunch. We're great at crunch, which I wish we weren't great at. I wish we were just good at working very consistently so that we could just not have to have those few weeks at the end where we're going nonstop. Yeah. That's just how it is. Yeah, I think, yeah, the key thing that I've learned is it's um, just accountability, either other people or yourself. It's like a checklist for yourself and like, hey, I didn't get to this. Just, it's just people. And I think that's the thing with games. You just got to have deadlines. (laughs) No deadlines, you're you're creating forever and, you know, there's no one's going to see it. It's like, why does it matter? Um, And I think that's the problem where a lot of developers just kind of just are too relaxed and you know, it's ready when it's ready. It's just, it's the worst model that you can have for a, for a creative. (laughs) Yeah. Don't worry about it. I feel, I feel like you need a a push and pull of those two things. Um, because I'm, I'm personally very much in favor of, uh, delaying stuff if it needs extra time in the oven, Mm -hmm. but there, there needs to be that balance struck between this is being delayed because, delaying it, it'll make it better versus this is being delayed because that means we can push off our deadline. And I'm scared it's not good enough as yeah. it is. It's that phrase, right? Perfect is the enemy of the good. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Or the done, which I've, I've also heard. <laughs> so it's, true. it's good to just finish something. Like There's always stuff you can go back and fix. I feel that way about all of my projects. But at the same time, I'm more invested in having people read it than making sure that it is the absolute most flawless version of itself. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that that other thing just doesn't exist, too. Yeah. There's always changes that could be made. I'm always getting better. So I'm going to look at anything that I did, even as like recent as a year ago, and just be like, well, I could fix that gooder now. And in a year, I'll say the same. That's when you make a sequel. That's what sequels are for. <laughs> yeah, or like re-releases. Like all yeah, re-releases, sequels. remastering. It's, yeah. That's the whole point. Uh, I do want to ask you about this. So you kind of mentioned you guys kind of settling on Kickstarter platform uh, mm-hmm. to kind of do this crowdfunding. And obviously, there's plenty others or even self-hosting. You also mentioned uh, two-thirds of that was mostly from your own audience and one-third was through Discovery um, that pays for the taxes and fees and everything. After looking at all that, was there ever a consideration of just self-crowdfunding on your own website, cut out all the fees, or is it still worth it to have on Kickstarter for exposure? Would love yes, to kind of hear your yes. thoughts. Okay. Definitely use Kickstarter. Don't use any other website either. Uh, Kickstarter uh-huh. has the name recognition. People trust it. People, uh, you will get, uh, like, Kickstarter has its own built-in audience of people who are willing to go there and fund projects. Uh it, it it makes you whatever you're making more reputable. Yeah, it's a difference of thousands. Like even if you're looking at another, thousands of money. Yeah, <laughs> even if you're looking at another crowdfunding platform like Indiegogo, like I would say, just alone the fact that Kickstarter will only give you the money if you fund, like makes people treat your project more seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You see a game on Indiegogo that's trying to raise like a hundred thousand dollars and they're at like twenty thousand. Like are you are 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 you going to back that knowing that like feel- they might not even come close to getting what they need to finish it? Especially when crowdfunding projects are already a bit of a risky investment. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, like uh I always kind of um take note of that like the the there was like a few years ago where kickstarter was everything and then like a lot of bad apples happened where they were just taking people's money and that kind of ruined it for the rest of us are we still in that kind of phase with distrust has it damaged is the damage there to stay with the stigma of crowdfunding or do you feel like that's disappearing slowly like what are your analysts I think it's like always kind of been a certain level of distrust because some people just don't follow through, even if they yeah. don't mean to scam people, things happen, things fall through. Um, 
I or think... sometimes they did mean to scam people, but that's just kind of a part <laughs> right. of the risk. So it's always been there. If anything, I feel like it's uh, kind of reached a threshold of reputability where it's just not going to go past a certain point where you shouldn't work with them anymore unless yeah. they do something really bad. There was all that stuff that happened with uh, the union unionizing there but i'm not actually sure they have a union they have a union now oh who has a kickstarter Kickstarter, yeah Yeah. can can i talk about that a bit i I, i'm not familiar with that side too much i would suggest people look up articles about yeah (laughs) so the 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 company (laughs) itself has has a union Uh, yeah the workers unionized uh Management did what management does whenever there's a union. And, just say, oh, come on, guys. You know, pushed oh. back pretty hard, but the union wound up forming. Um, so I don't know. There's like this balancing act where I personally, my takeaway is, well, they have a union and that's great. Um, and not, they have a union and their management is mad at the union. Mm-hmm. Um, management is always going to be Because management is always going to be mad at unions. Um, yeah. But I, I think one of the things with like reputability on the platform too is everyone at this point knows that crowdfunding is a risk and it's a question of what kind of reliability you can project as a creator. Because I have done seven Kickstarters now. All funded, all, funded. all fulfilled. Mm-hmm. You can look at that track record just by clicking on her account. We like made a conscious decision to run this through Abby's Kickstarter account and not make a new one for our studio Mm -hmm. because someone can click through and see, Oh, this person over the past decade has run like six projects, all of them funded, all of them were fulfilled. I can reasonably trust that my money is going to go towards getting a product here. Whereas a lot of times you'll see, you know, somebody goes to Kickstarter, they've never backed any other projects. They've never launched any other projects. And I think that raises some red flags. I know that's how I, that's the first thing I always do when I'm looking at a campaign and deciding, oh, do I want to like put some money down on on supporting this? It's first and foremost, have they run a Kickstarter before? Um, And like, have they been active on the platform? Because someone who's active on the platform, like kind of understands, like would inherently understand more of the risks that are at play. They've seen what have happened with other, with other projects. Um, and then there's like subtler signs too. I think uh, something that also stands out to me, and I think this is the case for you too, but like sometimes you see a project that's like asking for way too little money. And at that point, like the red flags go up for either uh this is a scam and they're trying to just like make the threshold low enough that they keep whatever they're raising for, Mm -hmm. or they just don't understand how expensive it is to make the thing that they're trying to make. Which means Mm -hmm. that they're probably not going to be able to make the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Both bad. Well, I mean, that's the number game there to me. I think common sense says, yeah, I mean, ask for the budgets that you need to make the thing happen. Uh, but I feel like a lot of people do kind of play around with the numbers too much. Uh, is is the common sense the right way to go? It's like, hey, I need this much. I'm going to ask this much. Or do I yeah. ask a little and then hope for a little more? Like, how, how about it do you guys recommend? The, the minimum that you need to make okay. the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah. look up how, if it's a physical good, look up what your minimum order is going to have to be. Because a lot of places won't just let you print like 50 or 100. They might make you print 500. So you have to make sure you can pay for 500. And, and store 500. Yeah. If if uh, that 500 units are being created overseas, make sure you can pay tariffs and overseas shipping for yeah. them. Um, yeah. And I think like even with digital goods, like... Make sure you can pay the people who may be working with you. Yeah. So yeah, just like really be careful with your costs. But again, there is a little bit of a numbers game. We yeah. Tend to do this too, like a lot of we. What was our goal for twenty five thousand? And we yeah. would not have been happy mm-hmm. had we got gotten that. But we also felt pretty confident that this is enough to like release the next episode, and we can mm-hmm. bootstrap from there. But yeah. it would have been challenging. Um, it would have been kind of a, we release the next episode. People have to pay for the next episode, and then that's the money that gets us to the next one. Right. So, right. Yeah. Um, but I think also, like, 
I'm honestly less concerned about someone goosing the numbers than just not really thinking through all of the costs. Yeah. So then that's what happens when you see like a really low number, like somebody trying to make a video game for 1200 or something. Right. And it's like, like, that's just not going to work. Are you making your own music? Is it, only gonna take you, is it going to take you a month to finish this? Because if so, okay, yeah, that might be feasible. Like if it's a really small game and you're just one person, you just need to afford rent for like a month. Right. Or, or, or even just like, oh, this money's going to come in and you realize what percentage of it is going to go to taxes and how much of that translates to money that you personally actually get to keep and pay for the project. Um, Everything is always more expensive than it seems like it's going to be on paper. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So your your not best scenario, but like your happy scenario with that was it like two times as much? Because you guys ended up with three times or a little bit over three times as much. Like, what was your realistic expectations? Did it did it <laughs> did it hit right on the mark, or was it over the much much more than you thought? I had no idea what to expect. <laughs> Just pray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, we we raised a little more than uh, what we were kind of hoping for as, like, the minimum comfort Number. zone for yeah. us. Like, 75K plus is kind of where we were just like, that would be pretty great. Yeah. Like, we're yeah, cool. on really yeah. even footing with that. And then we were able to get a bunch more through backer kit pre-orders. We nice. won some prize money. Yeah. Um, so we're, nice. we're pretty cozy right now yeah we can yeah, pay everybody who works for us feeling it well i i love to kind of ask about this is like obviously you have a foundation there to have an idea confident at this point to kind of get it funded and be 100 percent control i think by this point too you're probably getting third-party interests like people are like hey i want to get in on this have you guys considered that how far has that ever gone what are the cons of that uh, besides the obvious, but would love to kind of go over the obvious as well. Uh, we talked to a couple publishers, and I think our main takeaway was that just given the fact that we secured funding on our own, and given the fact that between Abby and I, we have a really broad set of skills, there wasn't a real value add. Yeah. I think the only thing that would really come with it is possibly more money, but we don't really need more money right. to finish the, the project and uh, a lot more oversight of what we were doing. And they would try to change our production schedule. They would have to change, like they might uh, want us to change plot points yep. or like put a lot more work into animating parts of the game when animation is not my expertise and we'd have to hire somebody for that. So it's just kind of a, we could either change the game to be what they wanted it to be, or we could just kind of keep doing the thing that got us where we are now because we have the funding for it. Right. We'll probably be working with a publisher down the line when the whole game is done. We're ready to port to consoles. Because we don't know how to port That is outside of our area of expertise. Yeah. That we'll probably set up some sort of deal where you know, they only get a cut of the uh, console sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, well, yeah. We talked to a consultant at one point too, who was basically like, well, you could work with a publisher if you really wanted to, but you're kind of good. So that was nice to hear because of course we have no idea. We're brand new to the industry. Right. I would love to kind of hear, you don't have to go into the details, but how, was there ever a situation where you felt third party was pulling your leg or something, or it went too far and it started wasting your time. Like how, how far do these conversations go before you're like, eh, I don't think so. Uh, is it like one, two online calls or like you're at their office and they're saying things and you're like, Oh, I mean, how, just to kind of paint an idea of like when you started to kind of smell something, uh, that you're not liking and then you got to get out of there and decided like this is, we should do our own thing. As someone who's been an independent creator for almost a decade, I always feel very suspicious of anybody I talk to about working with them. I, I, I mean, not suspicious, but I'm always kind of like, okay, how will you change the thing that I'm doing? Yeah, so. I, I would say like those conversations were fast and to the point for the most part. Mm-hmm. I think that was something that uh, my previous startup experience was helpful for because I, yeah. I had a lot of experience 
really big strong along for months at a time by investors and no pain kind of new in this scenario <laughs> we were in a position where like in term usually for any new company and especially like an indie game studio the publisher is the party in negotiations that holds all of the cards right you need their funding to finish your project and do a good job and get distributed um so they could dictate whatever they want, but we were in a position where it's like, well, we have all of the funding that we need. Um, we're just looking for somebody added to value. Us with a few, yeah, extra things that we right. were able to do on our own. So we were we were able to dictate the pace of those conversations. I think just from nice. the position we were negotiating from. Yeah. But everyone was very nice. Yeah, they were very Honestly, nice. Like it was wonderful to talk to people and kind of hear what they had to say. Because of course they also, you know, gave us first impressions of what our game was like to them. And they're like, you know, industry professionals. So it's not just our friends saying, Wow, this is so great. I can't believe you actually made a video game, which was very valuable. Yeah. And I, I thought it was very helpful too to see what publishers thought would be kind of their challenges or their red flags about marketing our game to see, okay, like what's the intersection between their knowledge and ours and what are things that we maybe didn't know about that immediately sprung to mind for them. Yeah. Uh, Very valuable kind of glimpse into marketing video games and how the industry works. Thank you. uh, Unnamed publishers for your free consulting. (laughs) Well, one of, one of the things that, um, I always like celebrate is the ability to kind of, you know, if you have this thing and you can do it uh, from A to Z, keep doing it. Uh, Another part that is, I think as a creative that kind of gnaws at you is like, well, if I want to make this bigger, I can. I mean, obviously you guys are small and and comfortable, right? Uh, Is is there any plans in the future uh, for for your company to kind of, all right, I have bigger ideas. Obviously that's going to require more. Is there a threshold of people would you ever grow to? Like no more than 10, no more than five. I would love to kind of hear those ideas. No more than five. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, I don't really have a number in mind, but I do have kind of a... Like, we we have some ideas for other games in the future that would require we hire at least a few other people. So yeah. it's kind of a, we'll play it by ear once we've finished one game. Right. And see how it goes from there. See what position we're in there. Mm-hmm. See what we're able to afford. What our new skills are at the end of this. Like, I think we'll really have a good grasp of our own limitations by the end of a seven episode game. Like I think something that's a recurring theme for both of us is we really value having like full creative control over our projects. We aren't going to hire any writers. That's definitely off the table for both of us. And and probably like artists would just be more in the animation um, bucket. Whereas all of like the character designs would be yours. Um... It's just how we be. Yeah. We're cool. stubborn. Cool. Uh, one last question that I do have. Um, in terms of growth, it sounds like you guys have a, a, a good idea of how you want to be. Uh, the one thing that I do marvel at, it, it seems like you guys have, uh, you have stories that you want to tell. And at least with movies and, and anything entertainment and games, right? We hear about how the marketability, right? The tr- like keeping ahead of trends or knowing what trends, but like also the successful games that we like ignores all that. It seems like you guys ignore all that. It's not really meaning to kind of take information from outside influences to kind of say what you need to say. Like how, how I would love to kind of hear your thoughts about that part. Like how important is that? Does it matter in your own experience? Like do I need to keep on? It's about robots now. It's about AI. It's like, do I care? Does it matter? Uh, since you guys have such a good fan base that just does and just loves whatever you guys want to do. So, I think uh, the most important thing is you actually kind of want to look unique. You want to be something that people haven't really, like can't categorize quite as easily in some ways. Sometimes that can really help you. Like just not being kind of, a copycat of whatever the new kind of trend is. Yeah. I think, I think also like on top of like, or maybe more than just being unique, you want 
to make something that is your own. Yeah. Like, I think this is true, not just in games and entertainment, but so many things in life where it's just like, if you are just trying to chase trends, you're always going to be behind. Um, I think something that you like see a lot is in professional spaces or like entire industries an industry might be listed as this is the job that you go to school to get a degree in. If you want to be successful, um, big, big, uh, one there is being a lawyer where everybody then started to go to law school. And now, you know, if you look into it, you'd see like, it's too many lawyers these days. Yeah. There's too many people. And doctors. And it, yeah. <laughs> Architects. There just aren't enough jobs. Yeah. And, you know, it, if, if you're following information that's already out there, that information is probably dated. Like you see the same thing with stocks too, or it's like yeah. if, if somebody who makes their living selling stocks is telling you to buy a stock, it's probably because uh, they're done buying the stock. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think the, the real secret is just to tell your story to find your own voice. And there will be people who appreciate that no matter yeah. what it is. I found that to be the case. I mean, a lot, I get some strange feedback. Sometimes uh, some people are like, you should draw more like anime or like, wow, you don't really have a style that's appealing. And I'm like, this is just how I draw. <laughs> yeah. And it's worked it's, for me so far. Yeah. I mean, that's the main thing. It's like, um, it's liberating, right? Just being able to do whatever you want to do. And you guys found a, a pathway to, to allow you to keep doing what you're doing. And that's huge. Uh, that's huge that I think a lot of people are still figuring out. Um, but yeah, once, and it takes time. That's the one thing I always tell people is like, hey, even if you start small, start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you got to start in order yeah. for it to go anywhere at all. Exactly, exactly. And it, if the pandemic shows you anything, unfortunately, our industry hasn't been affected as much. But you see other jobs, like people just spend their life just clocking, clocking out. And when they drop them, they don't have anything to fall back on. And I feel like, you know, at least you build an audience to do something. One day you want to just spend more resources there. You'll have something um, to kind of live off of. But uh, there's actually... Uh, the part where we hit the hour mark. I want to thank you both for coming on the podcast, sharing your knowledge. We did spend a bulk of it on Kickstarter, but you guys seem such experts at it. And I'm always interested because I'm so out of the loop. Um, but uh, this is actually the perfect time and place for you to, uh, I hand over the mic and shut up and you guys can talk about whatever you want. Sure. All right. Uh play our video game scarlet hollow it's spooky it's funny there's characters you can kiss in it eventually maybe the first episode is free to play on steam and itch episode two will be coming out in may um feel free to follow us on twitter at abby howard yeah at abby howard at black tabby games um and yeah, wait, do, you, do you want to plug other stuff? You can well, plug have, Crossroads. Yeah, the Crossroads at Midnight came out last week. You can get it at most major bookstores through Amazon, oh, on so bookshop.com, cool. yeah, Barnes & Noble, what have you. It's yes. good. I think people will like it. Awesome. And gosh, I think that's it. I also have an Instagram, abby.h.howard. I know the kids these days like Instagram. Or is that <laughs> not true anymore? I don't know. Uh, I think yeah, so. Yeah, we have a Twitch. Um, so relevant, yeah. Black underscore tabby underscore games. We stream twice a week and we mostly live stream ourselves doing development work on Scarlet Hollow. So yeah. you can see Abby hand drawing all of our backgrounds. Um, and you can hear us talk about game design. Yep. And we'll talk about anything. Anything. Well, perfect. As the use, you can sign all the links and info uh, for this episode uh, in the description below. I want to thank you both again for coming on, reaching out. Awesome story. It makes me happy. gives me hope. And I'm sure a lot of listeners out there uh, to do something if they have a good idea. Uh, and I like the fact that you tell everyone to ignore the trends <laughs> because I think yeah. that's the part that gets yeah. a lot of people. Um, but yeah, that's it. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Yeah, thank yeah, you so you much too. for having thank us. Thank you so much for having us.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail future, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody